Hi everybody, I'm Jeff Suckendorf, CEO of UTVs. I don't even know the name of my company anymore, it's changed. <laughs> we did what, that five times. Is the name changed? Yeah, it's UTD Scuba Diving now, not That's Unified Team so Diving. Well, it's Unified Team Diving or UTD Scuba or Diving. Or UTD Scuba Diving. You gotta have an official name. It's UTD Scuba Diving. Okay. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jeff Seckendorf, CEO of UTD Scuba Diving, and we have a crazy treat today. I'm in Maryland running an instructor development course for uh, a large group of the Eastern Seaboard instructors. Uh, we're running it out of Aquanautics, which is um, Matt Skogobo's shop, and he's here. Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going? And we have UTD instructor Zach Kennedy with us also. Hey, guys, how's it going? All right, so why'd we bring Matt and Zach here. This is a really interesting talk. So Matt is building a dive center, dive park? Uh, yeah, think more like a, an eco park that's uh, centered around scuba diving and open water training and things like that. At a quarry. Yeah. It is at a quarry. I heard about this whenever it was months and months ago. And it's like, hey, I bought a quarry. He didn't actually buy a quarry. Didn't. But that's <laughs> what piqued my interest is like, yeah. who buys a quarry? Yeah, you know, um, somebody that's tired of uh, not having a, a good venue and uh, tired of waiting on somebody else to get the job done. Yeah, so. most people get a pool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> pool, we can't do open water. That's true. <laughs> so, but that's what most people do. I want to teach scuba diving, so I'm going to get a pool. Well, you know, you guys in California have some pretty open water environments out here, Maryland, mid-Atlantic. We don't really have much, you know, uh, good wrecks are deep uh, up in the Jersey coast, Maryland, zero visibility on the wrecks that are out there. You get 10 feet if you're lucky, usually a rough ride, long trip. Is so, there bay diving? Can you dive in the uh, bays? Bays, low visibility. Bays are super shallow, so you can find plenty of shallow zones. But in general, visibility is very poor. Uh, currents in some places, things like that, temperatures. Um, you'll have some tributaries that get shut down because of contamination and things like that. So it's just not necessarily the best environment. So where do you, where until now have you taken your open water um, students? Well, there's uh, the two primary ones that most people have attended have been Lake uh, Rawlings or Lake Phoenix in uh, Rawlings, Virginia, and then Dutch Spring up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That's um, kind of a famous one, right? Yep, but they're about three and a half, four hours north uh, or three and a half, four hours south. So uh, our facility is an average of an hour from all of those places. So you're an hour from Baltimore. I'm an hour from Baltimore, 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour from downtown D.C. We're pretty much an hour from anything in north, about an hour and a half, no more than two hours. Let me say it that way. We are no more than two hours from anywhere in northern virginia maryland dc southern pennsylvania delaware you know we're pretty much in that zone and traditionally you guys are freshwater divers anyway right uh yeah most of the north and uh, the east coast northeast and, and all of that is all freshwater for for training so zach you're a utd instructor you've been an instructor for a while and uh we're i'm here to actually do some upgrades for you but um, so, and you've known Matt forever, right? Yes. Right, yes. So, since 2016. So what happens when you hear, I'm going to buy a quarry, even though we know it's not <laughs> buying a quarry, but that's what it sounds like when he, when he mentions it. So funny <laughs> enough, I was actually part of the initial calculus with that. Um, so as Matt talked about before, as far as like why invest in another property when we can just buy one, we had talked about these you know, bringing food trucks to one of these quarries and bringing pavilions and so forth. These and are the quarries up in Pennsylvania. Down one in that was even closer um, that recently shut down. Um, that was like, what, maybe 45 minutes away. But we spent all this time at this quarry um, and we wanted to make it fun for us 
because we're there all day, but then also for students as well. To kind of put the, together this idea of getting the ball rolling on what can we do to improve it. And then Matt had the idea one day that just buy my own. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the evolution of that. Okay, so where do you find a quarry to... You didn't actually buy it, right? No, I, I did not. You leased so, it. Um, the process kind of began with looking at, um, I mean, Google, as most of these things do and as, as most people find. What I found is that a lot of things don't happen because people either assume somebody else has done it or they think that it's impossible to do it so they don't even try. So I just started out with Google looking at quarry companies that were active in the state of Maryland. I went through four or five corporate entities uh, contacting them about decommissioned pits, um, properties they might be looking at, um, you know, breaking down or remediating because uh, they have a bond with the state when they finish mining out of spites. They're supposed to decommission it, and to do that, they remediate it. What does that mean? Uh, so they basically, standard remediation is you fill in the hole and return it back to the the environment that it was before. Okay, so, so you, farmland. You, you dug at this giant hole, which could be acres or hectares of land and Absolutely. now you're supposed to fill it in with what construction debris elsewhere dirt from somebody else's hole basically you know that's that's what the mining operations are required to do so you know it used to be a joke right when i lived in new york we used to have this joke that con edison would dig a hole on 48th street and fill it up on 49th street mm -hmm. more or less how it happens so there's yeah. like still there's always going to be one hole. No, left, it constantly right? does that. There's there's lots of uh, properties that operate that way as as what they call fill dumps. So they'll bring mud from a construction project. They'll dump it there. That company will dry it out. Maybe they'll do something with it. Then they'll sell it out to another truck that's going to do fill dump somewhere else. It's just revolving holes it's all over. A lot of money in construction and pollution in construction comes from just moving product from one place to another. It's um, I had no it's, idea. It's pretty incredible, but. Um, Are most of these quarries filled with water at some point? Uh, it just depends on how deep they get into the aquifer. It depends on the, the type of rock, the type of mineral that's involved in terms of water clarity. Generally, limestone doesn't have the same clarity as others. Ours, and we can get to that in a minute, you know, the geology is very, very unique in that particular uh, area. So we have very pristine water, very pure, very clear, uh, as you will get to see on uh, Saturday. On Saturday, I'm stoked. Uh, I've been in a lot of quarries here. Uh, this one is not like any, any I've really been in. So, um, it's pretty epic. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the story cause, mm -hmm. and then we'll get to the details. So, <clears throat> so, so you decide you want to find a quarry. Well, and I decide I want something better for my students and for the industry. You know, it's, it's one of those things, again, if, if we're not developing our sport, we're not drawing more people to it. We're not competing with the other sports that are doing that very thing. So, um, I went looking, went through a bunch of different commercial, um, mining operations who all kind of had the same idea, which is we don't understand this and it sounds like there's liability, so we're not interested. Um, <laughs> but eventually he got through and, and was put, uh, given the phone number of a gentleman that owned the property that we're trying to build on now, um, and uh, called him. Brilliant man, awesome. Um, you mining know, guy. He's a mining he's guy. He's a mining guy, construction guy. Honestly, has a doctorate in astrophysics from his youth. <laughs> you really? know? So, an incredibly interesting, an interesting individual, and, and uh, a lot of uh, awesome ideas. And uh, I gave him a call, saw the body of water from Google Earth, and asked if I could come up and check it out. He said, "Sure, come on up." So I, I came up with uh, one of my other divers at the time, and 
And the he, thing uh, was full of water already. Full of water already. Uh, and he took me on the tour of the entire property and told me the story of the geology of the property, how it was created, what it is. How much is, land is it? Uh, he owns two and a half square miles. Our section's about 30 acres. The, the lake itself is 17. That's yeah, kind of a that, small little farm, right? Yeah, basically a, a, a mid-sized, oh, yeah, a small farm, basically. Like a big family farm. It used a to small... be a farm, yeah, until it was torn down and a hole was dug through it. Okay, so, so you have 30 acres. Yeah, so our little section is about 30 acres and the lake itself is 17 gets down to 220 feet uh so it was, it was pretty spectacularly deep so good. Uh, yeah i went uh, got this whole tour and um you know that whole story and the story of the land could be a podcast in and of itself <laughs> um to be honest with you but uh, once he finished that we uh, went and jumped in the water and um i had visibility about 40 feet that day so you went out there prepared to dive it oh yeah went out prepared to dive jumped in the water and it was the clearest of any water source i'd seen uh, come to find out they had done a t-clip on the water and it's the purest water source in the entire state what's a t-clip a T-clip is an environmental testing um, format that basically covers all of the chemical trace elements that are in water. Uh, so if you have non-detected on pretty much like, pretty much everything on that T-clip, meant that that water coming out of the aquifer that 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 lake had tapped into or this dig had tapped into was the purest in the state, untouched by man, like pre industrial revolution level quality water so that's that's a thing right so when you hear about diving in quarries and mines right there it seems like there would be some environmental concerns from whatever they were digging out of there mm-hmm. right and so for this particular material it's uh what's called a pozzolan um which is basically uh, um what was what it, what this particular pit was dug for was an additive for concrete so what they would do it's it's almost a slate um, type material and when they run it through a kiln it'll bake and puff up and it'll be almost like pumice so they made lightweight aggregates as additives for concrete like building center blocks doing things like that because you make a same strength just lighter weight when you use these puffed up aggregates so they were digging that out of the ground um, from the time the mine started in the late 70s I think it was um, up through 2000 I'm going to say they de- they decommissioned that particular pit in 2008 or so about 30 something years they mm-hmm. ran this as a mine Correct. Now, one of the cool things about quarries... And, it, and let me be clear, yeah. it's still an active mine. That's what makes what we're doing very, very interesting. We're doing something no one else has done. They're that, mining it? So that whole property, two and a half square miles, they're mining to the south still. It is an active mine. It is currently actively zoned mining. We have created a relationship with a mining company to build an ecology center there because they want to showcase what happens when... Uh, you know, a heavy industrialist is also an environmental steward and wants to care about the environment. We understand that, that things need to be consumed, but there is a way to give back and to preserve and protect, um, you know, the environment as you, as you do this work. And so that's part of that partnership and relationship we developed with these, these companies that are operating this mine is to showcase that with not only our scuba facility, but an environmental center and things like that that we're going to bring to the property. So they're mining a different area a different of the area. property. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not connected to the water. It is not contiguous to the water. No, it's actually separated by a little highway that runs through there. Um, but no, they're they're mining to the south there. But it's like I said, it's a two and a half square mile property. I mean, it's it's a large land holding. So that's super interesting. So you go for a dive now. The, a lot of the quarries I've been in um, and you know man made facilities are cool because there's generally roads that go into these things, mm-hmm. right? So there are roads, but this mine was purposefully decommissioned. So the roads are there, some of the signage is there, but there's no heavy equipment left in place or anything like that. It was purposefully decommissioned, which means there's no, you know, lim- there's no pollutants. 
Um, There's also no cool stuff to look at, right? Yeah. The the trees were there because there was time for the trees and everything to grow in. Uh, And then when the... um, when the facility flooded and then the new owner, the guy that I'm working with, when he came on in 2008, because that was all run by a different company up until 2008. And the property was bought by uh, the gentleman that I'm working with. Mr. To continue Hill. to mine it. Uh, to continue mine certain sections, do other things. He had a lot of stuff that's going on. And they're, they're reactivating the mine for aggregates there in the south and, and doing a lot of cool work there. Um, so, Matt, how does, a, how does a, a decommissioned or decommissioning quarry, which is a big hole in the ground, fill up with water? Do they, well, they can it be controlled? They shut down the pump. So, they, oh, so when they're mining it, they're pumping, they're pumping the water out. Constantly pumping water out. Massive three phase pumps that dump like that. The refresh rate on this particular quarry right now um, is one and a half million gallons a day. Coming up from the aquifer. Coming up from the aquifer. And so that water that they're pumping, what do they do with that? Uh, they just dump it down into the you know the streams downrange. Is it clean? Oh yeah, hyper clean. The water coming out of that particular quarry is hyper clean. And so that's doing, not a polluting situation to keep the no. And this particular dry. and this particular stone. So there is differences when you talk about what you're mining, um, in terms of what kind of pollutants it's going to generate as you're you're working through the mining process. So when they're digging out this slate and this stone, there aren't pollutants trapped in this stone that are going to get released into the environment if you're you know grinding whatever that's not how that particularly that particular type of stone works so and are they i'm sorry to interrupt are they um when they're mining is there always a little water in the bottom just depends on how deep they go it all has to do with the water table once you've dug down deep enough and you hit the water table then you always have so they'll what you generally will see in mining operations is they'll dig a sump in one section and then they'll pump from that and then when they get below it they'll dig another sump and then they'll pump from that so they do in levels to control and that's exactly and And that's why you see them tearing down that also has to do with the allowable slope because you have to have specific setbacks so that's what why you see them tear down in into their pits so it doesn't collapse on itself doesn't collapse but they also have particular setbacks from the rest of the surrounding environment so, so they can't collapse. mine right up to the edge of their property right. line. they have to have setbacks and things like that so in this particular area um, there's a lot of minerals in the ground so while they decommission and stop mining that particular pit there is still mineable material on that plot of land but it's not something they necessarily have to do right now there's eight generations worth of ore in the ground meaning that it'll take them close to 100 years to mine out everything that's to the south before they might be interested in coming to see what's underneath the facility that we're creating so when you're talking about eight generations or 100 years of mining, that's what it would take to mine this 30-square-mile parcel that is the mine. Two-and-a-half-square-mile. Two-and-a-half-square miles. Yeah, the two-mile, the two, the two ba- yeah, basically everything to the south. Um, when I say the south, that's the demarcation. There's a road. Our little property is the very northern tip of this uh, this entire facility, this entire property. Right, and we'll have a link to the, the drawing in the yeah. show notes, so you'll mm-hmm. be able to actually download this little map, and you'll see what the facility, at least the building area, looks like. So, mm-hmm. all right, so now you, the guy, let's go back to the guy, mm-hmm. right, the rocket mm-hmm. scientist, mm-hmm. right? Sounds awesome. What a great, <laughs> great career trajectory. So you guys go for a dive, mm-hmm. you come out of the water, you say, awesome, yeah, and I called him and said, this is amazing. Um, you know, one of the things he told me on that, that ride is that he wanted to build an ecology center on that property to showcase the environment. Because what he'd done when he took over the property is he recognized how pristine that water was. So he stocked it with the endemic species of the state of Maryland. So the grasses, the snails, the crayfish, the bass, the 
all of those things, and they have flourished. I mean, absolutely flourished. So when you say there's nothing cool to see, I've had bait balls of bass fry come up to my face. I've had, um, I watched the bass hunt frot like little minnows through the grass. You can't see this, but Zach's got his hands spread out like a yeah, meteor massive, park. massive, like yeah, massive bass, fish, right? massive. You know, um, we've watched the the when we. Um, we were open for a short amount of time in 2018, and, and when we were, one of the opening day, we had divers report looking at a deer swimming by above them while they were underwater. They had uh, ducks that were diving and feeding in the grasses while they were watching. So they were basically National Geographic videographers while they were swimming around the quarry. And this the is underwater with nothing grasses. in it, right? You know, and there's nothing. So there's nothing in it right now. We are remedying that situation as well with some pretty unique, uh, you know, upcoming attractions. Toys, but, toys to dive on. Toys to dive on. Um, but you know, it's the pristine natural environment itself uh, is actually pretty spectacular and really not um, not something that I've seen in, in any other facility. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So fresh water doesn't lend itself to cool natural stuff generally, right? I mean, mm-hmm. especially not a quarry. Normally, you can see your hand in front of you and that's about as far as you're going to get in terms of visibility so this quarry on an average day has 30 to 40 feet of visibility and all of those species coming up and and trying to identify what are you because they they have no fear at all they don't have any reason to so it's interesting you get bass right up in your face wow and so uh does that visibility continue? I mean, you said it's 220 feet, about 75 meters, 70 meters deep. Does that con- So right now, um, there is a silt layer that sits at about 60, 70 feet. We're looking at installing a bubbler system that's going to go in along with uh, bio bags. So we're, we're fairly firmly confident we can bring those visibility levels down deep, deep um, using that system. With that much depth... You have a lot of layering, and sometimes if there's not a convection moving, you don't have the warmer water dropping. Silt can suspend, you know, in in those in the layers. thermal clines, yep. right? So uh, with doing a bubbler system throughout the quarry, we can actually mix it because of the visibility. We're getting a lot like that quarry can really absorb heat when it's doing it. So for mixing, we think we can get that thermocline really deep now as well. Generally, in the summer when everything's at its warmest, that thermocline gets down thirty, almost forty feet. It's 10, 12 meters. So, right. Um, so I can have basically high 70s, low 80s down 30, almost 40 feet in right, fresh water. Right, 20 centigrade and then 25 centigrade. And then when you hit the thermocline, it drops like ice cream headache cold. Yeah, right? I mean significantly. Yeah, now you're down into, uh, well, just depending on the time of year. But the, the deepest thermocline is usually average about 43. Degrees. Degrees. About, what's that, 4 or 5? I think 4 6 or five, Celsius, yeah. something like that. Something like that. Okay, let's go back to the, the mine guy. Mm-hmm. So, all right, you call him up. Mm. I don't even know what you say to him. It's like, okay, I like it. I want to. I want to put a scuba diving yeah, facility said, here. Yeah, and I said, hey, this is amazing, and I know a lot of people in my community could really, you know, benefit from this. Would you be interested in working something out? And originally, his idea was just myself coming up, but I recognized the value to the community at large and the industry at large, and I didn't want to just keep it to myself. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, that's a business decision also. Well, I mean, it, no, don't get me wrong. It's a business decision. But, you know, from from my perspective, honestly, what motivated me wasn't necessarily the money I would personally make, though that is obviously a factor in any kind of uh, thing. But the industry as a whole, you know, if, if we look at the numbers that we've been seeing over our industry and, and the decline in people's interest in this sport and some of the other sports that they're picking up, there shouldn't be any reason we can't compete with those. So the only thing I can imagine is, that people aren't necessarily needing to travel all the time to, to feed their need for the sport. So why can't we provide facilities that, you know, cater to that at a higher level? If you look at most freshwater facilities, they're built more or less like summer camps. 
you know, which is, you know, great, but most of our divers are very affluent divers that like to go to resorts when they go diving. They don't necessarily like to, you know, sleep in a bunk bed or have, you know, access to porta but you know. So building a facility that kind of, you know, elevates that experience quite a bit in a freshwater environment, I think does a lot for the industry and, and can help us, especially in this region, you know, grow the sport. And that's, that's important to me in Tra- general. Traveling is an interesting element of all of this because, you know, for the most part, accessibility makes people want to do what they do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I ride a bike and I go out my door, mm-hmm. right? I don't have to drive to a bike ride. Um, people who run, people who, you know, I mean, I live in San Diego, I'm 10 minutes from the ocean, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But, you know, if you're here and you've got to drive three and a half hours to a quarry, you're just not going to dive. Or it's going to be a twice a year trip if you're lucky, right? Correct. Going down Mexico, Caribbean, something Correct. like that. Correct. So having something that can uh, support the whole industry in our area is better is good for everybody. So, you know, it was something that I, I didn't, I mean, yeah, obviously there's a multifaceted motivation, but the primary one for me was growing the industry. If that grows, we all grow. We all grow. We've always said that, right? You don't make... You bring more stuff in. You don't make the pieces of the pie smaller. You make the pie bigger. Right. And that's and that's the goal. You know, and I think that in our industry has kind of lost parts of that. You, you see a lot of it with even agencies, but everybody wants to be very insular and nobody wants to, you know, nobody's promoting the sport itself. And, uh, and you know, I think we're suffering for it. So I'd like to see some of that change and that this is kind of my way of being able to do it. Okay, so my next question is, I want to go back to the guy, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So you say, I want to do this, and he says... Sounds like a great idea. Let's talk about it. So I went back up. Um, this was late 2017, uh, late summer 2017. Um, so I started bringing my students up, uh, you know, talking to him, going, you know, talking about what... Okay, was... wait, 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 before you start that, right? Mm-hmm. There are logistical issues right there's insurance there's liability there's mm-hmm. access and he was just like awesome name me as insured and off you go yeah this is pretty much like the um the best you could hope for in so terms of a support like he loved the idea thought it was brilliant he wasn't a diver at the time is now oh he is now uh, he is now did you guys train him oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah uh yeah no he's one of mine um <laughs> utd actually he's one of ours <laughs> so um, uh, you know, but, uh, no, yeah, it was just like that. You know, I said, Hey, this is what's going on. Um, you know, he had questions about liability. I answered them. I explained how our industry's liability works, how we run with the insured. Uh, you know, he reached out to his insurers and technically, um, there wasn't anything for them to say what well, we weren't interfering with mining operations where we were, you know, all that. Now there was other challenges that came later. Like I said, we're, we could have a long podcast with this. So there's lots of stories involved. Um, That's why we're here. But um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. It um, he loved the idea. He wanted it to happen. Uh, so that's. That literally within that next week, I immediately shifted bringing all of my classes up to this quarry to do my certifications that summer, like the end of the rest of that summer. Zach was up there quite a bit. We were all just diving this place to ourselves for the remaining three months of summer while I worked on developing how we wanted to do this plan um, with uh, with the owner. We um, I engaged a business attorney. We drew up a, a lease that was incredibly generous for myself. Um and, and secured that. And then he uh, signaled his willingness to help me fund getting us open in 2018. So he put money towards getting us open. Um, the owner. The owner. Yep. The this is a crazy story. So this is not the story I expected to hear because normally when you get into these stories, it's like 
you got 45 blockers on the first week, right? Okay, this guy said no, his attorney said this, he, he said this, mm-hmm. the insurance guy said no. And none of that happened to you. None of that happened because it was privately owned. It wasn't a corporate. There wasn't a corporate entity with some high, you know. And that and that is that we've had to develop those relationships with with corporate entities since then. And and they've since we were already there, were willing to listen to us, and then have since loved the idea of what we're trying to do because it's not just about us. It's about it's about a lot of things, and the nonprofit comes into that, and we can get into that as well. But there, there's a lot of facets to this that have made it attractive to those people. But in this particular time, uh, when I had nothing but the scuba facility in mind, yeah, it, uh, I'd happened to come across just the right person who loved the idea and is an imaginative, an, iman- an imaginative individual, um, and saw the value in what I was trying to do and, and wanted to do it, wanted to be a part of it. So yeah, he, we, we made it happen. That is really. One of the most amazing things I've ever heard, <laughs> you know, having been around this industry for a long, long well, time gets... and others knowing that, you know, it happened. So now, yeah. so now what happens with government, right? Are there local governments involved, so state when governments? Because you're in to... the state of Maryland, So right? we're in the state of Maryland. So we opened in 2018 for a season. Um, we opened based on my research, which I went through and, and looked at the laws and the zoning for mineral mining and didn't see anything that necessarily precluded us operating a scuba facility. So um, we put in a pier, we put in a uh, dock structure of our own design, um, uh, which I really love the idea, which is it's floating out in about 20 foot of water, but it has steps that go down to a cantilevered waist deep platform, basically, so your students can stand gear up, put their fins on and off, do that kind of thing, and not have to disturb any shoreline walk-ins. They don't have to silt anything out. They just walk off the pier and down in the water, put their fins on and off the dock so okay so wait 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 just so i'm clear on this so there's a there's a pier attached to the to a dock to the land yep and then that's there's a pier attached to a dock attached to the land well no there's a land pier and then a floating dock and then that floating dock has stairs that go down to a a platform that was basically cantilevered under like under the water but off the front edge of the dock so why is the platform so you can walk into the water floating so it's so it's so we can stand off the shoreline and prevent silting. We don't want anybody. Wa- to silt. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just not getting this. You can walk because I haven't been there, mm-hmm. but no, neither yeah. is anybody else listening. Yeah. This, right? <laughs> so so you, you walk from the shore. So imagine a standard onto the onto the pier, and then you walk onto the dock onto a floating dock. Basically, Got it's it. a floating okay. dock. It's like yeah. a barge. That's yeah, more up. or less. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's something that allows us to kind of spread because we can't throw pylons down because right. you basically have a slope coming off right. the edge of the roadbed. So okay. and then you've cantilevered a, a, a platform a underneath one and a half that meter, dock. five yep. foot platform. Mm-hmm. Yep. That way you can stand there. So and you we, carry your fins. You put your tank on. You carry your fins down. Walk these down stairs. the steps. Throw your fins on. Fall off. You know, and you're good. No surge. No tides. No boats. Nothing. No nothing. Nothing. Nothing necessary. And then we have three training platforms that we sunk underwater. They're 16 feet wide by 32 feet long. So we've got one at 18 feet and then two at 25. And they're always visible, almost always visible from the surface. I think it's the, you know, I can count on one hand the many days I've been there where I can't see the the platforms from the surface. Right. So one's at like six meters and you said the other one's 25 feet, 25. about eight meters? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so really, really big, awesome training platforms for the group. So I looked at it, didn't see anything that um, precluded us from doing it. So I built some gear tables that people could use and we put in some porta potties and, you know, hey, bring your tents and we'll do our thing. So let me stop for a second. So you, let's go over to Zach here for a minute. So you were one of the first instructors to go out there who didn't actually own this thing, right? 
Well, so I was actually not an instructor at the time. I was just enjoying it. It was like our, our personal Disneyland at the time. <laughs> so, okay, awesome. So you go out as a as a open water diver, whatever you're certified to. It didn't really matter mm-hmm. at that time. You just went out as a diver. So mm-hmm. what's what was your first experience like in this place? Because was the dock in at that point when you saw it? At that point, no. You were walking in the road. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, it was kind of overwhelming at first because you you get into this environment and you're so used to seeing five feet of visibility um it, you know it, it's cold normally and this place was gorgeous it was warm above 30 feet the visibility was perfect there was a bunch of life down there the environment itself the big sloping cliffs was kind of breathtaking uh, because the slate um you know when the sun glints off of it you have all those minerals that are in the inside and they kind of take in that sunlight and the, the glimmer it's it's a lot so it was it was gorgeous like the first time i went down there i was i was really taken away which is interesting because often you get into these freshwater environments lakes quarries and things and you figure you do two dives and it's like okay next mm-hmm. right but right that's not the case here that's not the case at all now it keeps you wanting to come back and that's what makes it so special especially the forest i mean like you're under, not going to find that. Forest. Right. You're not going to find that anywhere else, really. Um, these big sweeping moss clumps that are coming off the trees that have been there for God knows how long. Um, and they'll stay. And they stay. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really, really pretty. It's kind of spooky, but it's it's gorgeous. And the ecology, Zach, I don't know if you can answer this or Matt, <laughs> but is this ecology a moving environment? Is this going to be different in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Or is it kind of a stable freshwater cold freshwater environment you're going to get this yeah one. yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna grab this one so no the environment itself is i will say is stable it has room for growth for expansion um you know we can start feeding more minnows to the the bigger fish we can do things to draw the catfish up off the depths um we can look at bringing in uh, some other species that haven't you know that we haven't gotten in there yet that are endemic to maryland um, we were talking about trying to get some paddlefish in there. They are a species that's actually endemic to Maryland, but they're ex- they're functionally extinct in Maryland because they don't have breeding grounds. So I'm allowed to put them in there, but I just you know I got to get that squared away. That that's all stuff we're kind of figuring out. But sounds like an aquarium thing, more right? Or so you less, get those yeah. scientists interested mm-hmm. in this project. We've got plenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, okay, so um, we got sidelined, which is our our job here mm-hmm. is to go off on crazy interesting tangents mm-hmm. uh we got sidelined on the government part so so yeah i um got everything figured out got us open went through a whole uh a whole season everybody was really happy we were excited we were planning on getting um you know air fills in we had found an amazing deal on a compressor and uh we were ready to go with that and then i got a notification from the county they've been following our progress and our our um our uh, popularity on Facebook and all that fun jazz and wanted to let us know that I had in fact interpreted things wrong. Uh, okay, so f- blocker number one in this whole process, right? Was the county. Yep. Um, and with righteousness, cause I didn't really necessarily, I, I read the laws and then decided to not call and verify my interpretation. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, I will readily admit it was my fault, but we were told that, uh, according to Frederick County, unless the law specifically stipulates that you can do something, then you cannot do it. Which is the opposite of how insurance companies work. They all cover by exclusion. Yeah. Now you're saying that a law has to cover by inclusion. Right. Which, which how does a law include something that doesn't exist yet? Well, that's, that's the thing. So it, it has to be amended to include it. Before, theoretically, before you... 
No, ap- not even theoretically, actually, before I do anything that I want to do. <laughs> okay. So, so this is this is interesting. So yeah, so that in 2018, uh, you know, they came in and shut us down, and I said, okay, well, you know, let's come in, let's have a meeting. Um, so I got in in front of uh, the employees of um, the county, which was the uh, the head of planning and zoning, um, the head of uh, permits, you know. Just, the guys that are in, the, in some of their the county attorneys and said, "Hey, look, now these are county laws you're talking about. These not are, this is a county, state. not a state. Yeah. Okay, so this is a pretty I local. Did, it's lo- well, there were there were state things too. We got a lot. We got a lot to cover here. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's, there's, I did a lot, and <laughs> I did a lot in a year. But we'll stick specifically with the county thing that we had to deal with first. Um, so with the county, we sat down with them, went over, you know, presented the project. There was a couple of different ways that we could approach it, but the big thing was we couldn't remove the the mining zoning. They 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 wanted to move the mining zoning or remove it, but to do that would have devalued the company that owned it by several hundred million dollars because of the mineral rights and everything. That so you needed some kind of dual use system. Well, it's not even that I needed to amend the mineral mining zoning to allow my usage, um, which gets complicated because it's. The, the County way the law, the way right. the law they can't is, write a law for oh, this. Oh yes, they can for this property. Absolutely. Okay. So, well, they don't they don't write it for this property, but it's written. We'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, mineral mining has um, mineral. The mineral mining zone has um, room in it so that if you're not mining, you can be running agriculture. It's a, a use ancillary to the mining activities. Um, and so that's allowed, but anything else around that and the stuff that's normally allowed under agricultural zoning isn't allowed. So what we needed to do is get kind of added in as an ancillary use. So we worked with the county, had them write it up, discussed, came in, showed them the plan, like what we were hoping to do, talked about what they were okay with and what they weren't comfortable with. So we had to let go of things like camping uh, because that existed under other zoning. They didn't want it to exist under the mineral mining layer. Uh, we were going to build a restaurant and bar. They weren't comfortable with that right away. So we shelved that one for a further discussion down the road. But you um, could do a food truck or something. Uh, but food trucks were, you know, food trucks are something that we can do. Yep. Um, so we did all of that negotiating, put it all together. Um, then we got a um, – I'm, I'm friends with a, a gentleman that, that has worked in this county on the county council, and uh, he assisted me with making you know some, um, some connections with some of the people there at, at Frederick County. Um, we found uh, a freshman Republican counselor named Michael Blue, uh, who – Loved the idea. He was in our like our facility would have been in his district. So we sat down with him, kind of showed him what we were trying to do, um, and he decided he would go ahead and sponsor the bill. So uh, Matt, hold on. So now I know you a little bit. I've been around you a little bit, and um, and you tend to do things at a pace that most of us don't work at. Okay. So you know, I hear this story, and I'm hearing like three years. No, it took me a year. It took a, it did take a year. It took me a year from start to finish. We we were shut down November of eighteen, and by the time in December of uh, nineteen is when they unanimously voted and signed in the uh, zoning law change that gave me the right to do what I wanted to do in the mineral mining layer. Okay, so uh, all right, so now that we have that time frame, which is not what I expected to hear. <laughs> Was that a, a trying process to get laws written, or was um, it? Nah. Well, the the and why the, does it actually take a year? 
Uh, it could take longer, uh, depending on, I guess, the project. Our project specifically was something everybody was really excited about. It was unique. It's an amazing usage. Um, it's something because without something like this, that lake would sit there unused until they decided to either fill it in or start mining, pump it out and start mining again. So now we have this unique natural resource that the community can use. So it was something that everybody could get behind. Uh, so when we presented it to the county council, we presented it to the, the zoning commission, everybody else, they understood and appreciated the project. And so they were excited to really kind of back us. Now, it took us a while because it's the normal business of running a county that has to get accounted for. They have to write everything. It has to pass through the attorneys. And that's really what took the year was for everybody to have their meetings, understand what they're comfortable with. The other thing that the, you know, from the, the county side in terms of not the council, but the, the employee zoning and planning and the rest of them, they wanted to have a handle on what they were doing because I was coming, you know, right behind the law change to start handing them plans and get approvals. So they, you know, so they worked with us, um, you know, to, to hand them plans and get approvals. Um, so we worked, you know, hand in hand with them through the whole the whole writing process. So they knew what they were getting into with us, which is going to help us expedite the permitting process once we, you know, once we land there, um, which should be soon here. But. Right. So now you have a law that says you can do this, and I assume you wrote into that law all the things you wanted, and you got as much as you could, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you didn't get a restaurant, but you got. Can people stay there? We can't have anybody on site because I can't do camping at this time. So um, no campers, no trailers. But we're within 15 minutes of some major, you know, from Frederick, and there's Airbnbs everywhere. There's campgrounds nearby, and again, we're and we're almost we're an hour, maybe an hour and a half away from everybody's house. Right. So you don't have to camp. You can go home and still get up in the morning and make it to the court and not have you know and not waste an entire day. It's right. Not and if you bring in someone like me, trip. I can even I can stay here in in Annapolis and, and still be an hour away and be working out of your shop. Correct. Stuff like that. So correct. so the 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 lodging was not a not necessarily. And it wasn't part was of your business about. plan to have. I, you know, it, it it was a way we could have made more money, but it's not. It doesn't. It's not core. It's not core to the business plan. And there's ways that we can work it. There's adjoining properties that theoretically we could get into. It, it hasn't been dismissed entirely it's just you know phase five in my brain maybe right. six <laughs> and, then, and then is so. is uh is food truck a viable option food truck is and uh the design plans that we'll uh, go through and talk about and showcase on the on the uh the notes will show where we're kind of putting them but that is an option we were allowed and that's perfectly and fine. you're and they allowed for tables and people so oh, yeah. it'll All feel like an outside restaurant oh, yeah. fair oh, yeah. more or less yep like yeah. Yep, absolutely. Okay, yep. so you get through the county, mm. you get through all that. Yeah, we get through that, and then we had to get approvals from um, MD, Maryland Department of the Environment, and MSHA, which is the Maryland uh, Mining Sa- uh, Mining Safety and Health Administration. That's a federal. Which is a federal body. And they have to come through and approve and uh, verify that everything fits their guidelines. Did um, they have to do site surveys, or did they just uh, look at the plans? No, we, we, sent them, we sent them what we were doing, how the property was laid out, how we were separated. And they said, great, this is awesome. We're excited to see something like this happen. Because no one has ever done anything like this at all, ever, on a mining property in the country that I'm awesome. aware of. That's just awesome. And then... So, um, and they were okay with Porta Johns. You don't have to put in sewage. So or... no, I do. So that's where we're kind of where we're at now. Is that um, we got all this done? January was a great month. February was a great month. We were intending on trying to in March get our septic testing done so that we could get our septic field going. Uh, but unfortunately, COVID happened. 
everything shut down. Uh, so we've now been on hold until either the next week or the following uh, to get our septic test. Once the septic test is done, I know how big of a field I have, and then that sets my occupancy, and then I can put forward my plans to the county. It's also funding, to be honest with you. You know, we uh, COVID also kind of hurt our funding choices a little bit. Everybody got a lot more conservative with where they want to put their money because they're not sure what the market looks like. So um we're kind of battling through those things to get it done so. did they allow you for porter johns in the interim did they give uh, you an option no, for that nope according to the that's one thing i couldn't really get away with which i don't necessarily blame them and that's the health department's decree which is if you're you know operating commercially porter johns doesn't cut it and the reality is that came from frederick county specifically has a uh, glut of um, wedding vi- like farm wedding venues, breweries, wineries, you know, so they just didn't they, they eliminated the ability to abuse the fact that, you know, putting porta potties in because there were people just throwing porta potties on their farm and saying, hey, come get married here and take pictures in the, you know, in the pasture and stuff like that. So so, so what are you doing for that now? We have to build a bathhouse. And what are you doing it for? Oh, you're closed. Oh, we're closed. Yeah, right. We've been closed since November of 2018. And, yeah, yeah. And so you haven't officially opened yet. So you're you're just yeah, we are building, designing, um, securing the thing and you know, cleaning the thing we're sinking um, for our first attraction um, and all of that. Basically, as soon as my septic field is tested, I know where I'm at. I can move ahead with the permitting necessary to put in the bathrooms and do all that and get open. But I'm hindered by the construction process. So, And you have power and water. Power is there, and we drill a well the same time we do everything else. The well site's been approved. All that's good. I just, but I have to drill a well and do all of that. And that will, so a well will give you fresh drinking water Correct. and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't take it out of obviously the mine. No, that's nine uh, eleven killed that off because uh, they won't. The um, Homeland Security won't allow you to have any more open faced or open source reservoirs, so ah. you can't pull drinking water. It's a Homeland Security mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, okay, where do we go next? Tell me what the next step of the story is. <sighs> All right, so let's back up and talk about what I was doing simultaneously to the law change. And that was when I figured out that we were going to be able to do this, I wanted to, you know, again, it's about changing the conversation and changing the standard for what we're wanting to do to build a facility for divers. Uh, So to me, every quarry has a bus, every quarry has a bulldozer, every quarry has, you know. We've seen airplanes suspended, all sorts of crazy stuff. All of it. So I said, okay, what can I do that is different in scale and scope? Um, so my first thought was a 90 to 100 foot boat that I could drop so we could penetrate. That's still on the list, but it wasn't the first thing that we secured. What I was able to secure was a C-130. Um, so we have a C-130 military cargo aircraft that we're going to be sinking in the quarry. I was awesome. able. Who's handling the cleaning on that? We are. Yeah, we're doing it according to MDE guidelines. Technically. There's a whole bunch of convolution when it comes to being on a mining property <laughs> in terms of what I'm required to do, but we're following the um, the uh, guidelines that the EPA put out in terms of making something reef safe. Are you going to helicopter it in or are you going to take the wings apart? What are you no, do? no, we can crane it in. The wings are going to be off of it anyway. Um, can you put them back on are. before you sink it? No, we're not going to do that because of where it's got to sit on the roadbed, it wouldn't fit the roadbed, so mm-hmm. then it would, the wings would kick the uh, plane over on its side so we're just going to lay the wings down kind of next to it so from the air it'll look like it's been crashed into the lake which is fun because we're on the uh, camp david like flight path okay. so when we first got the fuselage <laughs> there we watched like two flights of their blackhawks like turn around and like circle the you know what is that why do they have a c-130 there that wasn't there yet so it's already in the water it's not in the water it's on site oh it's on site yeah we're, we're currently doing all the stripping and stuff you'd be amazed how much is yeah. in that thing that's got to get you know. i would think right have you been involved in that 
not so much, but it's it's kind of fun. So I spent 10 years in the Army, and I got out in 2018. So it's been kind of fun to see an aircraft that I've spent an absorbent amount of time in, kind of just sitting there and, and being taken apart, and then the fact that I get to dive it. So I got to be in it in the air, and I get to be in it in the water, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's super cool. So, um, okay, so you, you're getting the airplane. That's that's amazing. Yeah, so when the C-130 goes in, well, since the one that got destroyed in the Red Sea, I think we're the only, we'll be the most intact on the planet in terms of accessible to divers. I know there's one in Texas, or there was, there was a, a quarry lake in Texas that had a C-130 in it, but they, it looks like, I don't remember what the date was, like 20th, they ceased operations and the neighborhood was built around the lake. So I don't know if the C-130 is still there, if they can right. still dive it. But How deep are you putting it? Uh, we're actually going to put it on the roadbed. The cockpit should be sitting in about 15 foot of water, and the tail will be down uh, in the mud at about 16 or uh, 60, 60, 60. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, okay, so your plans to open are so you need to do septic, you need to do bathrooms. Yep, septic bathrooms. Um, basically, that's all the county really requires of me. Parking was a big deal. Uh, parking, we already kind of everything that is in place now technically kind of gets us by um, with what we're doing. Are you, have um, you been given a. a uh, occupancy limit yet? No, that comes with septic. We need to know how big the field I'm allowed to have is. So it's just, so we only the the issue that we have with a mining property or property that was mined is that in you can only put a septic field into a place that has not been disturbed by the mining activities. So on this particular section, there's a very finite area we can put that now we've because the rest of it's been mined. The rest of it's been disturbed or had stuff piled on top of it or you know all the other fun jobs. Um, so the one area we know we've got that we can do, we're, we're testing. Now we've got the maximum allowable before the state gets involved or whatever is what we're trying to test for, but whatever it comes out at, that's, what's going to describe our occupancy limitations. So once I know that, then I can know how I'm going to scale my design. There are other options that there's a lot. I mean, there's, I just, I can't, I mean, there's gotta be surface toilets and grinders and all that kind of stuff. Well, no, that that's, that's fine. It's not about that necessarily. It's all, it's all about bay the load. It's, there are other options in terms of creating uh, or getting access to sewers that involve, um, long (laughs) digs and no, not necessarily long digs. It's just, it's more, um, more politics that, that I can work through and things like that to, to try and, um, Anyway, it's septic should give you enough opportunity, enough should. occupancy. Give right? me, it can get me open, and then I can. There's other magic I can work as we start to develop the rest of the property. Because there's this whole property. So, like, if we get into what I'm doing for the scuba facility itself, that's going to be phased when we're done. The scuba facility itself is going to be a, a two million dollar investment in just the the scuba stuff. So, um, we're going to have. Um, the air fill station with, you know, bank nitrox, trimix, all the rest of it. We're going to have paddleboard rentals, a dive shop with minimal, you know, repair capability, da, da, da. 82 feet of dock with the submerged platforms. We're actually going to have an ADA dock that has a boat lift so that the, you know, suds and the disabled diver groups that come out, they, they put all of their people in on these benches and the actual whole thing lowers them into the water. This is a great environment to do adaptive scuba. And I've done that. I've done when I did my, my HSA adaptive course, we mm-hmm. did it in the ocean with a, off a rocking boat. And, and, you know, it's, it's great for training, but you know, for regular diving in that scenario, yeah, no, this it's, is perfect. It's tough. Um, and then basically we've got, um, you know, a few day one, well, we're terming day pavilions, but we've got a few of them that can be rented. But then what we've done, um, is basically created shade for everybody. We've done a big tensile sales structure, 
complex that kind of lays out over the rest of the staging area so you don't have to worry about fighting over a pavilion here or there you've got coverage you've got some rain cover you definitely have got sun cover which is the most of the concern it's hot here yeah in the summer um, it's super hot so here. having those sail structures helps you know helps with that um can you dive this all year long or does it freeze over oh no i haven't seen it freeze over once i mean i've i've crunched ice walking into the water but i haven't uh have it freeze over to the point where i could do um ice diving classes which you know maybe one day it will but, but. you can you can dive it yeah. pretty much 11 or 12 months a year yeah, if you want if to you be want. cold oh I mean, yeah there's 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 some brave divers up in pennsylvania i could call out right now on this podcast that yeah I know we know some of those guys in Michigan, <laughs> up, up in Michigan yeah. also no yeah they they, they they they'll they'll be there um so, so this is this gives us a pretty good picture, uh, and you can see on the drawing where the airplane's going, mm-hmm. and, and, and you can so see on. where the food trucks will be in the kind of the dining area, which the that corn crib quote unquote structure is basically a, a covered dining area um, that uh, will help protect people, and then we have the food trucks there across the street, so we'll line them up. So it, it's you know there's going to be plenty of space. The other thing that we're doing that um, that we wanted to do, and again this is in support of the industry, is create. Um, shop pavilions that have their own direct access to the water. So along the southern edge, you're talking about dive center pavilions. T- dive center pavilions. So they're along. Well, if you're looking at the uh, document, that's going to be the left side, but um, that is technically the south side of the quarry. And they'll be arrayed there with their own um, cantilevered um, decks, basically that allow them to giant stride immediately into the water, their own ladders, so they can bring their students in and out of the water from their pavilions. So, so this is—it's a really, inter- really interesting story to me, uh, how this all came together, and that it actually came together kind of easily. Although we don't know the year that you sp- or two years now that you've spent sweating it. Um, so uh, there's two can, two really primary groups of people using this thing, right? There is there's students and there's recreational or technical mm-hmm. divers. So, mm-hmm. so Zach, what do you think the experience for the students going to be like at a place like this? I mean, you've, you've been all over the world, you've taught all over the world, you've been diving all over the world. So now you have students, your UTD instructor, um, or for any instructor, what's it feel? What's going to be like for a student? Is this going to be too easy? <laughs> I don't know about too easy, but I, I kind of hope that they have the same experience that I did when I first dived it, right? Like, I hope they fall in love with that. And I hope that kind of continues into them getting more training and wanting to dive more. Because um, like you said earlier, one of our biggest issues and something that we advocate for all the time is just get in the water, build your experience. And so having a dive facility that's only an hour away as a student is great because now I can justify always getting in the water. If I have a free weekend, why not go up there and dive? It's beautiful. Could be a half a day. Exactly. So, so interesting. And, and that, that's the same for students and, and record and certified divers. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be any different. They'll have the same experience. One will be guided and one won't. Exactly. Yeah. So Matt, can you talk about the money model from a, um, from two perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. From the instructor, position not not an aquanautics instructor mm-hmm. not somebody in your mm-hmm. shop that's a different model mm-hmm. but i have a dive center mm-hmm. and i want to bring students what's the money model for yeah that? so no what we basically set up is if you're coming in as an instructor and you're bringing a roster you're in for free uh if your ratios match the need for a dive master then i will allow you a dive master for free otherwise dive masters have to pay their way in unless they bring a group of fun divers which then i'll give them you bring me a roster minimum four fun divers with you you get in for free so now i can use their dive master staff to encourage regular diving and do this 
through all of the shops. And is it a membership? You're going to build memberships or is it a one-off? Uh, is it a pay at the gate? How's it It's work? a pay at the gate or we'll probably do, we'll do season pass and yearly passes because we get into the fact that, you know, so one of the things we're doing with those, what we call day pavilions is I'm going to build in the ability to seal them up and make them four season pavilions. So in the winter, we're going to put up walls basically that allow you to heat the interior. They're all going to be powered. So we can plug in a space heater, heat the interior, you can dive year round. So for those that, want to do that which there will be they have year-round access so for them a yearly pass makes sense for the people that are only going to come you know f- during the open summer season when it's nice and warm they can have a season pass or they can pay per entry do the same thing for the air fills you can either pay per air fill or buy an air fill card at a slight discount you know or you know that kind of thing so students and recreational divers are going to be on the or certified divers are going to be on the same money model for the most part yeah right? so 35 dollars per day per diver is what we're opening with uh, the plan is to open with in 21 um and then and that's the same for students or recreational divers coming for fun it's a lot less expensive than renting a boat much much less expensive than renting a boat and technically less expensive than any of the competitors right now um really they're more than that to get into a quarry uh dutch was was i don't know what they are now because they made some changes due to the covid stuff but they were what 42 this year i think to, to get in for for the day and then all the other stuff is on top of that, right? If you need gas, if you need tanks, if you need right, all like of that. that's on top of that. Um, we're going to do paddleboard rentals. We're going to do. We're we're creating an area. It's kind of it shows over there as Rosie's Cove and, and Rosie's Beach, but that's going to be a paddleboard dock area and a beach area. We have the Mid Atlantic um, Mermaider Club or whatever it is. But these girls that run around um, with like the really expensive silicone tails have always kind of wanted a place that they can do pretty pictures, and this place works. They've seen some of Rosie's pictures, so. They're going to be there hanging out. We've got free divers. We're going to put a free diving platform out to give free divers access to the depth with the line poles and all of that. Because again, with depth and the bubbler system, we can get the visibility down. They'll they'll be able to practice their sport. So we'll It'll have be that set cold, up. Cold, cold, cold down there. Good luck. <laughs> that is between the free diving instructor and his students. That has nothing to do with me. Yeah, they're not in dry suits. But uh, but you know there there it is. And maybe they're only going to be there for a minute. It's it's entirely up to how he wants to do it. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, and depending on what the bubbler system do, bubbler systems do in terms of bringing the thermocline down, um, because of the convection they create, they're drawing heat down. And like I said, the the clarity of the water here soaks up heat. So if we can move the water, we might be able to bring that thermocline pretty far down and make it relatively comfortable, pretty deep. Which all of these things, I, I you know, they're they're all expensive, right? Mm-hmm. As you start to build these things up, you're mm-hmm. putting in a compressor, you're putting in mm-hmm. the bubblers, you're putting mm-hmm. in enormous amounts of electricity mm-hmm. use because mm-hmm. we know what it costs. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the the general population who walks into a dive shop knows what it actually costs to fill mm-hmm. a tank. But mm-hmm. those of us who have owned compressors and have done the math, it's mm-hmm. not free. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's not like turning on a sixty watt light bulb. Yeah. Um, so so it's interesting that you know that pricing structure that feels like kind of a good number to me. That it's it's if my first reaction was, oh, it seems kind of high. But then um, my second reaction is, that seems kind of low. Have you bought a ski lift ticket recently? Well, right. And that's, and that's you know, there's been a lot of debate internally, um, not led by me, but others that, that, you know, when you look at other similar sports, let's say golf and let's say, you know, other things that traditionally you'll pay more to go, you know, play around a golf. Or get on a crappy golf course. Right. Or get on a crappy golf course. Now, the differentials are, and this is you know why I'm kind of starting where I'm at, but again, most other facilities 
don't have very good visibility. People show up, they do their dives, they leave. It's not about spending time. There's no it's amenities. Not about it. And yeah, and it's it, and there are some like you know you look at um, Phoenix has got the paintball field. You've got um, Dutch with the the confidence course stuff and the water park. So there are other things for families to do necessarily, but there's nothing catered for the divers, right? It's 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 separate points of interest that happen to coexist on the same property that give give them you know other you know other ways to generate income well we know that expanding into water sports is a good thing right that water sports is i don't know it's up in the 20 percent range of what sports do Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what people do in sports scuba is a tiny 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 piece of that but when you start adding in another tiny piece of paddleboard, another tiny piece of maybe pedal boats for kids, mm-hmm. start adding in or the free trails diving. that we plan on having out there and all the other stuff. So the, again, the goal is to turn this into basically an eco park or an eco resort that happens right? to have scuba diving. Um, that well, it's you know centered around if we're centered around the water, if and we're talking about an eco resort, right. why would diving not be part of that? You know, I know um, I do a lot of I, I see a lot of. Um, places with dive teams and lifeguards training in pools mm-hmm. and this seems like another great opportunity for that for like you oh, know, well, water parks to train their lifeguards and- oh that we get um pretty much every fire department dive team in the state of maryland does their training here their initial training i mean baltimore city baltimore county Arundel county frederick county carroll county Howard awesome because it, <laughs> it, it gives them you know most of those guys are limited to 60 feet and it gives them you know real water and they're not well, faking it this is this is where they'll do their open and then they'll go to the low vis environments for their low vis training and they'll do that but this provides an amazing resource for the entire state and surrounding states in terms of the ability for people to train it's just again it's to me, the the price, and, and again, this comes back to that that discussion about is the price too low? Um, and I feel like right now, most of the divers out there are going to think, no, it's about right, you know, because of what they're used to, right? And and because they're they're only coming for that short amount of time. It's interesting in California. You know, we don't pay for diving. Yeah, we just, just walk in the ocean because yeah. it's ten minutes from my house. Yeah, um, and, and so. But you know, we pay for boats. Right. So it, it's the other side of the coin right. that if you were. You know, uh, and you'd a, happily pay ninety dollars for a two tank and eight hours on the boat. Exactly, right? so, easy. It's cattle boat. There's forty people. I mean, the dive sites are cool. You know, we're right. going to the Channel Islands. And but stuff when like you're that. when but, you're out here, and when I say out here, when you're, um, you know, mid Atlantic North and then Midwest North, everything pretty north, much everybody from, we're doing pretty quarries. much from New York yeah. to everybody's doing quarries. Atlanta, right? Um, yeah, everybody's doing quarries. There's there's a few out there um, that have really high visibility and have built their facilities out to accommodate this idea of, of um, you know, a more inclusive experience, more something that that will encourage the idea of hey, you're going to spend the day when you're coming up. You're going to do your two or three dives, but your goal is to spend the day. I'm going to go and enjoy. I'm going to get some food from the food truck. I'm going to go hike this one trail that's got the edible trail and the raspberries are, are you know edible in, in January. Or the non-diving family. Right. And well. this is a big thing that we see that. Well, even that I'm not so – because most guys at golf – they don't bring they don't drag the kids out on the golf course they, right would it be cool if they could well it might be or they might want that time to themselves so kids go somewhere else which yeah. we we now have that ability where but again it's it's that's that's a double-edged sword <laughs> to make it you know it, it is i'm gonna be honest and i'm gonna be honest with everybody out there it's a double-edged sword some people go diving because they don't they, they want that time away other people yeah. don't you do it however you want to do it the reality is that you have the ability to come here and spend the day and it's comfortable and it's enjoyable and you've got the camaraderie, you've got the community and you've got an environment that makes it worth spending the time. I mean, I can relax in a lounge chair and just look out on the water and right. be content because it's 
clear, it's clean, it's beautiful, it's blue. I can look down in the water and watch the bass swim by 10 feet underwater. I mean, you, you know, it's... But it so. could be family-friendly. Oh, no, it is. I mean, they're not going to be a bunch of sailors running around cursing their heads off. It's family-friendly. No, no. no, but, but yeah. if you wanted to bring... It, yeah, yeah, the family could come up. They could do the trails. They could walk the property. You do one dive. Yeah. You have a thing. day, and but, everybody wins. But that's where we come down to pricing, is that, that we have trained, and this kind of goes back to, and I'm going to lay this blame on, on all of you dive shop owners and all of you instructors out there. When you're telling your students that, hey, you're just going to go get this over with, I promise you it's much better when we travel, you're basically stealing away 90% of that person's ability to dive because you're convincing them that this is awful, right? This is just it's something Cold, you have to get through yeah. to get to the fun part. Well, now you're now you're killing 90% of their, their diving because they're not traveling all the time. They're not doing these trips. Like you get to travel a lot because you're building trips and multiple people come on them in different facets. But those people that are traveling with you go once a year, yeah. twice. Sometimes so they're not lifetime diving. trips, right. you know. So they're not diving. But that's your fault because you're not you – know, and it is. <laughs> I mean because even when I had hides and low visibility, I could still drag Zach up there as one of my divers to go diving because we're going to get wet and have fun, right? And, and it's part of the community. And yeah, the vis is low, but that means we can make you know, whatever, practice our nav, but we make it fun. We make it fun to do this together. It's a sport we enjoy. But when you take that away from people, so you know, you're devaluing the sport that you're trying to train these people to. So this facility allows you to put value back into that again. And maybe now we can justify spending more money on your entry fee because it's supporting this kind of thing. You don't know. Um, but I'm going to start at something that's reasonable and kind of you know, show people, hey, this is, this is what we can do. You know? and, and we can make an honest change in our sport for the better if we you know, care about what we're doing and think about what we're doing. So. Amazing story. It's an amazing story. I can't, uh, I can't tell you how impressed I am by this whole concept of, you know, at, at UTD, we've worked really hard to break new ground, right? It, our history is full of doing new things, getting copied, moving mm-hmm. on, right? Mm-hmm. We're 20 miles down the road. We talked about this in another podcast. Somebody says, I want to do that too. It's like, great. We're already 20 miles down the road. You're like 400 miles down the road in front of people on mm-hmm. this core thing. And I, I, I'm super excited to see where it goes for you Appreciate both, it. you know, from, a, a, from all aspects, right? From building the sport from building a business that, that we hope is profitable and beyond sustainable that works in, in all those good ways, gives Zach and the rest of the instructors around here, you know, a playground for their students that's more exciting than what you were just talking about, which mm. is, you know, basically where I learned to dive in a 42, you know, degree lake, a mm-hmm. five degree centigrade mm-hmm. lake. It's like, mm-hmm. you know. You which met. you could either remember fondly or you can remember awfully. It really kind of depends on who you're with and, and how they make the experience I, work remember, out. I remember it because it just gives me a yet another story. <laughs> but it was not the funnest day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's led to a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so good on you and, and, and Zach and the team of instructors down here supporting it and um, – and, and thanks so much for sitting down and doing the podcast. I think it's, it's just an interesting story, right? Yeah, just, I appreciate it. There's there's lots more little stories in there. So as we go, I'm sure we can. We yeah, can we'll, we'll keep, keep, keep notes and we'll come back. And, you know, when you when you officially open, which we think, what, six, eight months? Something like uh, yeah, that would be my guess. I mean, it just depends on where we're at. That's the other thing about the project. We have our what we want our final our end goal to look like, and that's what you have in the notes. But it's looking like, based on our financing needs, we're probably going to have to phase that of up. Course. So we'll, we'll open a little leaner than what you see there in the plan. 
uh, but that'll be for this spring uh, and then we'll just build every winter when I shut down it'll be to uh, I won't necessarily shut down but when we scale down from you know the end of season I will start building building the next uh, portions of it and keep on trucking awesome so. well I'll come back and whenever it's open we'll do another IDC we'll do another podcast so Zach thanks so much thank you Matt Thank you. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get in the water there. Absolutely. Can't wait to have you out. Maybe we'll put a little addendum on the end of this once you've gone in and you can uh, let people know how you feel (laughs) about it. it. All right. (laughs) So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, If you have questions, uh, comments, just uh, info at utdscubadiving.com. You can reach Matt at aquanauticsllc.com and we'll put that in the show notes. So if you're uh, on the Eastern Seaboard, for sure, check that out. And the facility is Juturna Springs. Juturna Springs. Mm-hmm. Okay, J-U-T-U-R-N-A Correct. springs.com. So check that Roman out. Roman goddess of wells and springs. Awesome. Um, oh, the Roman goddess of wells, wells and, springs. and springs. Awesome. Fantastic. All right, good. Well, we'll catch you on the next one. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. Hell is going outside. down the street.